Jeff's got the steal. How about Clark? Oh, she is so smooth. Holy smokes. Another deep three. What did she do? What did she just do? Do I need to call you the, the female version of Steph Curry, or do I need to call Steph Curry the male version of Caitlin Clark? I mean, which one is it? Um, she's, you know, I've kind of dubbed her like box office. A deep one. You back! Caitlin Clark! Gets it into Clark. Clark races away. And the mythical mastery of Caitlin Clark continues. She's a phenomenal basketball player. We all know that. She's proven it time and time again. But I think the biggest thing is the way she holds herself and the way she plays the game. Um, She's doing it the right way. She's doing it the fun way. Uh, she's being a role model to little kids who want to grow up and be just like her. Um, that's a great thing. Uh, so I think in these past three weeks, she's done so much, but it's not just these three weeks. She's been doing it, I mean, since she decided to play basketball, it's been a progression to this point. So um, we all know what a phenomenal basketball player she is, but it's the person she is behind it all that's inspiring these kids as well. You know, it's really, really special, and I don't think it's going to set in for me for quite some time. Well, I want my legacy to be the impact that I can have on young kids and the people in the state of Iowa. And I hope I brought them a lot of joy this season. I hope this team brought them a lot of joy. I understand we came up one win short, but I think we have a lot to be proud of and a lot to celebrate. Um, and I was just that young girl, so all you have to do is dream. and You can be in moments like this. It's no secret that women's basketball has struggled to attract the interests of the wider sports audience. For whatever the reason, at all levels of the women's game, the numbers have always far undervalued the product that takes the floor. That is, until Caitlin Clark arrived. Whether it be the sold out arenas or record breaking TV numbers, thing is changing. It kind of takes you back for a second because I think you know, you don't always realize the impact that you can have on people. It goes way further than, you know, making a Logo 3 or making a cool pass or, you know, even winning a basketball game. Um, you know, I think that's what's more important to me is the joy I can bring people. And people need to start understanding that women can play with that same passion, that competitive spirit that men have played with for years. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope. My name is Ashley Lentz. I'm one of the pastors. We're so glad you are worshiping with us. I don't know about you, but when I see Caitlin Clark highlight reels, I get like really excited. I love basketball. Uh, I love women's basketball. I love men's basketball. I'm an Iowa Hawkeye. Caitlin Clark's from the metro area. I mean, it's just so good. It's also not lost on me that it is also Super Bowl weekend. There's a big football game today. But Caitlin Clark has a big game today as well, and the Iowa women do. She is 39 points away from breaking the all-time women's leading score record. They play at noon against Nebraska, in case you were wondering. She may or may not break that record today, but it's a big deal, and, and it's very exciting. We talk about legacy today, and so as we think about legacy, Caitlin Clark, for me, comes to mind like I said, I love, love, love basketball. Uh, I grew up on a basketball court. Uh, when I was two weeks old, I attended my first basketball game. My dad was a basketball coach my entire life. And so he was the boys' basketball coach here in Ankeny for lots and lots of years. And so I truly spent my childhood on a basketball court, not only watching, but also playing. As a female player, I can tell you how much I love the game but it was more fun for me to watch men play than it was to watch women play. That is until Caitlin Clark truly has started to change the game 
of women's basketball. Did you know 12.6 million people watched uh, the Iowa LSU championship game last year? That's unheard of for women's basketball. You can now find women's basketball games on regular networks at regular times because people want to watch. And this is what comes to mind when I think about legacy. Again, maybe she'll break a scoring record today, which would be really, really cool. It's fun to watch people like that perform. And I love hearing her talk about legacy. It's not really about her. She wants to bring joy. She wants little people to know that they can play with this kind of spirit, that they can change the game too. When you hear other people talk about her in that clip you saw, that was following their loss against LSU after the NCAA championship game last year. And you hear her, uh, her teammate Monica talk about her as a person. This is legacy, right? What it is people see when they look at us. And as Christ followers, as believers, that shouldn't point to us. That should point to Jesus. When people look at us, they should see God at work in us. And so when you think about legacy, I wonder what comes to mind. As a Christ follower, as someone who knows Jesus, what do you think of when you think of legacy? And some of us might think what we're leaving behind for our families as well, and that's accurate. As a church, we have been walking through our 10 for 10 sermon series. We have these 10 goals over the next 10 years that we feel God is calling us into, and we wrap up that series today with goals 9 and 10, legacy makers and loving care providers. And as a church, there are some things that came to mind as this team prayed about what it looks like to be legacy makers. As hopesters in this community, we hope we can leave a legacy. Here's how goal number nine reads as we think about what it means to leave a legacy. We'd like to develop hope's ability to revive the world with God's love without financial constraint. Pay off debt, minimize new debt, grow the Hope Foundation to $25 million to invest in God's expanding kingdom. We'd like to build a retreat and sports recreation center, maybe build a senior living center. These are kind of the action items that come as we think about what it means to leave a legacy in our community. I highlighted for you what kind of sticks out to me, revive the world with God's love without financial constraint. As we think about where it is God is leading us over the next 10 years and beyond, we wouldn't be very good stewards if we built a sports recreation center and a senior living center and left mountains of debt behind us for future generations when we did that. And so I love that this includes being really good stewards of what God is giving us so that we do these things debt-free or that we minimize new debt as we step into them. And then we'd like to invest in God's expanding kingdom in a whole bunch of ways wonder if this gets you excited about anything. We have this acreage that we have purchased just over here, and we've talked about what it would look like to build a senior living center on that land. Uh, Pastor Scott preached last weekend on being an intergenerational church, and part of being intergenerational means we'd love to build a senior living center over there to invite senior citizens into this place, but also to build an intergenerational culture where young and old can learn alongside one another and grow together. This is God calling us to use our gifts, to use our love, to change our community. As I was thinking about legacy, I thought, this, isn't really sh this word, it doesn't really show up in the Bible. Like, where is the word legacy in Scripture? And it's not there. So I thought, what is the root of legacy? What is the etymology? Everyone say etymology. 
etymology. This is like the fancy word that describes how a word comes to be. So legacy is a very English word, but it has a history, the etymology of this word. It comes from a Latin word, but when we think about legacy, it doesn't actually mean what we leave behind. The root of this word means inheritance. The root of this word means inheritance. So it's what you're doing with the gifts that you have right now. So it's both. A legacy is, yes, what we leave behind, but it also implies what you're doing with what you have right now, how you're stewarding your resources. You heard in our scripture reading, Paul teaches Timothy a thing or two about stewarding resources. Well, this is 1 Timothy 6, uh, beginning in verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. I like how the message version translates this last verse. If they do that, if they steward their resources well, they'll build a treasury that will last gaining life that is truly life. I wonder how you felt when you heard the scripture reading where we started talking about finances in church. Because I think for a lot of us, we've had really negative experiences and like these walls and barriers just start to go up and like red lights go off. And so I'm just going to acknowledge that. It's okay if that happened, but let's just bring them down because this is far beyond just finances. This is just far beyond what God is asking us to do as stewards of financial resources. This is what we're doing with our inheritance, which means the time that God has given us. Certainly it means resources, tangible and intangible, but it also means our gifts or our talents. Every single one of us has a current inheritance from God that we are called to use right now so that we may gain life that is truly life, not just for eternity, but in the present. God wants us to know life that is truly life. And that comes when we trust him with the things that he has already given us. Every single one of us has time. In fact, we all have the same amount of time in a day as the person next to us does. Every single one of us has gifts or talents that are uniquely ours. You have gifts and talents that only you have. God has gifted you with those things. We all have resources And none of those are actually for you and for me. None of those are ours to keep. They were gifts from God in the first place and placed back in God's care, placed back in his hands. He will do far more with those things than you and I ever could. And that's kind of a hard surrender because I really like my time. I have good boundaries around my time. I really like my resources. I really like my gifts. And it's easy for us to use those, especially when we talk about legacy. It's easy for us to use those to glorify ourselves, and we don't even realize we're doing it. I don't think any of us would say that we're we're doing that. But so easily, our inheritance can get misdirected and become of this world instead of, of God. And it reminds me of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If we sat down, had coffee, maybe some donut holes after service, and I said, what are the desires of your heart? 
I don't think any of you would look at me and say, I desire to be rich and famous and powerful. You're Jesus-loving people. Like, that's not really the desires of our heart. But I wonder if our treasures would say otherwise. If I treasure my time for myself or my resources for myself, then the desires of my heart actually do become about me. And again, it's just a slight off off the course God has for us that I think we don't even realize happens. But our treasure, where we put our treasure, reveals the desires of our heart. So I wonder if we sat down and I said, what are the desires of your heart? I think many of you would say to love, to be known by God, for God to use me, to be in great relationship with other people. How is our treasure pointing us into that? How are we using our current inheritance? Legacy is not a biblical word, but inheritance is. How are we using that inheritance to build a treasury that points to Jesus? To gain life that's truly life, not just someday, but right now. And to show other people what that looks like. And church, you're a generous church. You're really good at stewarding resources. It is Super Bowl weekend, S-O-U-P-E-R, Super Bowl. I've been around Hope a long time, since I was in sixth grade. And for as long as I can remember, we've done like Super Bowl weekend. And it's incredible to watch how this has grown, how people show up with tons and tons and tons of food to tangibly love our our neighbors and stock food pantries around central Iowa. When I pulled in this morning, I pulled around back and you can see some of the, like the big crates out the back window and they were overflowing. I was like, where are people going to keep putting food? We got plenty of space. Keep bringing it in. We're going to sort all of that after service if you want to hang out and help because it is a party when we get to sort all this food. But you give so tangibly and it's, it's noticeable. And we often say, what if hope closed our doors? What if we closed down the church building here in Ankeny and all of you decided to no longer participate in community? Like you were like, meh, I'm just kind of done. I'm just going to like go home and go to work and do nothing else. Would people notice? Would our community notice if hope left? And I hope and pray that the answer is yes. People would say, where are those hopesters? Man, that church really did a lot for this community. Not for the glory of hope or our church or the glory of any of us individually, but for the glory of God. For people to see God's hand at work in our community all the time, in and through us as a church, but in and through you as people of God in this community. I hope people would notice. These are the things that we do tangibly that make a really big difference. We also have the pantry, the the cupboard here at Hope Ankeny. It's a food pantry, open every Friday. Anybody is welcome at the, at the cupboard. This helps support in a tangible way our neighbors who need some tangible resources on a weekly basis. I asked uh, Tim McGrath, he's our missions coordinator, Tim's part-time. I asked him for some uh, statistics about the cupboard, and here's what he sent me, so I'm just going to read it to you. He said, we're currently seeing 90 to 100 families per week in the cupboard. This is up from an average of 65 families a couple of years ago. In a typical week, we see three to four new families who've never been to the cupboard before. Then he gave me some data. He said, nationally, data from 2022 showed a 25% increase in food insecurity from 2021. 
Food insecurity is people who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Uh, financial resources are so tight that food becomes one of the things they can't purchase on a regular basis. They're not sure where that next meal is coming from. 25% increase in food insecurity from 2021. Based on what we see and what other pantries in Ankeny are seeing, stats will likely show another 20 to 25% jump from 2022 to 2023. Most of our guests come from Northern Polk County, and it takes between 25 and 30 covered volunteers to do the errands, pick up food, stock shelves, and staff the cupboard on a weekly basis. Again, Tim's part-time, one person. He's awesome, but he can't do all that on his own. You all do this. You all get to be the hands and feet of Jesus in tangible ways as we love our community. And so when we talk about building a legacy, using our current inheritance to love and care for the world around us, but also to point them to Jesus, this is a way in which you're already doing this, church, and it's really beautiful. And that brings us to the 10th goal in our 10 for 10 vision. And I don't think it's an accident that the 10th goal is all about love and support. It's to be loving care providers. Here's how this goal reads. We love and support the hearts of those who are broken, broke, tired, scared, sick, imprisoned, lost, or wandering. We'd like to create a Christian counseling center at Hope. We'd like to widen the reach of our recovery ministries and double the number of support groups. We want to love and support those who are broken, broke, tired, scared, sick, imprisoned, lost, or wandering. It's tangible love for our neighbors. And if we're being honest, every single one of us has been part of this list in one season or another. Our lives ebb and flow in seasons like this where we need to be the recipients of love and care from our neighbors. And love is an action. As we talk about what it means to love, that's not just an emotion. We don't just preach and teach about it. Jesus didn't just preach and teach about love. He lived it out. If in any relationship where you love, you only expressed that as an emotion, like, hey, I love you, hey, I love you, but you had no action to back that up, we probably wouldn't have very good loving relationships. This call to love and care is very much an action thing. How are we living this out? I highlighted Christian Counseling Center, uh, again, on this acreage that we now own. We've talked about what we've been in conversations with people about what it would look like to put a Christian counseling center right out our front door. I don't know if you've tried to get into a psychologist or a psychiatrist recently. The wait lists are really long from weeks to months to even be seen for the first time. How beautiful would it be if we could love and support our neighbors with these resources and say, here, we'll get you in today. Take 10 steps across the parking lot. This is love and action in our community, and every single one of us has a place to play in it. As we talk about love and care, there was a movie that came to mind. It's the movie Patch Adams. It's quite a few years old. Uh, Patch Adams is a real person. He's played by the actor Robin Williams, and this movie documents the, the real life of Patch Adams. And Patch is a medical school student who loves patients differently, and his uh, superiors in medical school don't really like that because he's not doing things by the book. So he kind of creates ripples and waves. But you begin to see this love and this care, this passion that he has to love people differently play out. Take a look. Meet Patch Adams. Yo, ride him, cowboy! I tell you what you want to know. 
Do you want to tell me what it is you think you're doing? few laughs, sir. In the American Journal of Medicine has found that laughter increases secretion of catecholamines and endorphins, which in turn increases oxygenation of the blood, relaxes the arteries, speeds up the heart, decreases blood pressure, which has a positive effect on all cardiovascular and respiratory ailments, as well as overall increasing the immune system response. Smart clown, eh? Mr. Adams, when I told you I knew Dr. Pratt, did I mislead you in some way to think I'm a pushover like he is? Kindly remove that coat. I told you you are not to see the patients till the third year. I'm just visiting friends, sir. Why are you here? If you want to be a clown, go join the circus. Patients don't need to be entertained. They don't need a friend. They need a doctor. I don't want to see you in this hospital again. What do you see? Patch, it's late. What do you see? Parsley. And a horn. No, no, no. And a... Look beyond the objects, hmm? Look through them. Over here, look. Kind of let them blur. Tell me the first thing you see. Something with a nose. Okay, now imagine that's a building with a nose. A free hospital. A free hospital. Can I go back to bed now? No, no, because I'm bursting with ideas and I need you to help me. It'll be the first fun hospital in the world. It'll be a totally freeform building. It'll have, like, slides and secret passageways and game slow rooms. Slow down. I can't write that fast. I can't slow down. We'll use humor to heal pain and suffering. Doctors and patients will work side by side as peers. There'll be no titles, no bosses. People will come from all over the world to fulfill their dream of helping other people. There'll be a community where joy is a way of life, where learning is the highest aim, where love is the ultimate goal. Huh? You have all that? Yeah, not verbatim, but the overall insanity's intact. <laughs> she thinks it's crazy, and it is a little bit crazy, but he says joy is a way of life, and we love people really, really well, right? I love seeing his passion. Uh, like I said, this is based on a true story. At the end of the movie, there's some credits. And there were thousands of doctors who said, we will leave our practice and come work at your free hospital to provide this care. Now, I'm not, I couldn't find like a clear update on where they're at in the building process. Their website shows they were supposed to break ground in 2011, and it is 2024. So I'm not entirely sure where they're at with this. But I love the idea and the passion that this man had to change the face of medicine, to love and care for people in a tangible way who didn't have the financial resources or insurance to actually go to a hospital and receive that love and care. And church, this is our call. It is to love people tangibly really, really well, to use our current inheritance, the time and the talents, the gifts and the resources that every single one of us have because they're gifts from God, to invest in the world around us, to give back to God, to see what he does with them in the world around us. Jesus tells us that the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. There is nothing more powerful we can do in this world than to love God and love others. 
and we say, I buy into it. I think legacy is important, what I leave behind, that it points to God. Sure, I'm with you. But when it comes to like my resources or my time or my gifts, they're just kind of blah. Like, like eh, I don't think God really wants to use me the way he wants to use you or the person next to me. Or I, I see God up to, up to, you know, what he's doing in the life of that person, but I'm just not really sure it's for me. And so we have a hard time making the connection to say, how do I put this into action? Where's my role in what God is calling me to do? And I wonder what your goals are. So these are hopes goals for the next 10 years. And I wonder what kind of goals you have for your life. Goals are a really important thing in the world. There's statistics about this. I forget some of them, but like the most successful people in the world have goals. The people who aren't successful don't have goals. We all have goals, right? Uh, informally, a few times a year, Tyler and I have goal conversations. And it just so happened that at the beginning of this year, we had a date night. It was Friday, January 4th. My birthday is December 30th. And so for my birthday, I said, I would like to have a date night where my parents, grandma and grandpa, take Paxton, our two-year-old, so we can have a quiet dinner without a two-year-old. And I'd like for them to keep him overnight so that I can sleep in. My two-year-old gets up at 5.30 a.m., and man, I love him, and we can even push bedtime later, and he is still going to get up at 5.30 a.m., so I was like, I'm going to sleep in after this date night, so we get dressed up. We go to a fancy restaurant, and on the way there, I'm like, I don't think we're a fancy restaurant get dressed up people. I was like, I, I don't even know. Like, I felt very out of place, but we were doing it. We were doing the thing, so we get there, and it's quiet. Did you know fancy restaurants are quiet? So we sit there and we stare at each other. And I was like, what do we even talk about, right? So he looks at me, he's like, let's talk about our goals. It was January 4th. It was the beginning of the year. Let's talk about our goals. And I was like, boo. I was like, I don't want to talk about our goals. He's like, no, it'll be good. And so he starts listing off things that he's excited about this year and for the next few years for our family. And then I start to get excited and I'm like, yeah, those are great. And I love you and I'll support you. And I think you're awesome. And what I said was, I'd like to just survive the year. I was like, we're going to become a family of four. Uh, I, I'm having a baby in 10 weeks, everybody. You're all the kindest people in the world. You've just started to say to me, like, are congratulations in order? And I'm like, yes, you can talk to me about being pregnant. Like, I'm 10 weeks away from having a child. So, okay. So I'm like, let's survive becoming a family of four. And I'd like to end the year with, like, any sort of money in our bank account because sending two children to daycare is, like, mind-boggling expensive. So I was like, these are my goals. And he's like, okay, let's keep talking about these things. So we start to get excited about things. And the thing that starts to bubble up is, like, passion and the potential that we have as individuals who support one another, but also as a family and as a couple and what God is calling us to do with our time and our gifts and our resources. And I start to get excited and this word potential, ever since January 4th, has been so highlighted for me that I was like, I've been praying into it. Everyone say potential. 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 I'm kind of a nerd, too, if you didn't know this. So quick science lesson. Everybody get out your thinking caps. Hands up. Put your thinking cap on. Please. Yes. Thank you. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're with me. Quick science lesson on potential. Again, this word has been highlighted for me since January 4th. So I was like, I got I to gotta look into this. I have taken physics classes more than I care to acknowledge. Potential is a real thing that works in this world, okay? Wired by God, physics is a thing. Potential energy is stored energy, and it depends on the relative position of various parts of a system. Now, last night, I actually had a small bow and arrow on stage, and it was, it's, it was a toy. It was for a seven-year-old, but it was like 
cool and kind of legit looking. And when I grabbed it and I pulled it back, I aimed it right at the baptism family. And I was like, I'm not going to shoot you, I promise. But today I was like, I'm not going to bring the bow on stage because it just looks a little bit too real. So imagine, I have a bow and arrow, okay? That bow and arrow, just hanging out next to me, has no potential energy. It has no stored energy because there is no force acting upon it. But if I pick that up and I draw that bow back, it now has potential energy. It has stored energy because of its position in a system relative to me, the acting force. Potential energy, stored energy, has to go somewhere. So again, I assured the baptism family. I was like, I'm not going to shoot you. I, I wouldn't release this, this arrow on stage, right? It didn't even have like a real tip, everyone. It was very, it was very fine. But I was like, even, even as I just gently release this, there is a force that has to move. It's called kinetic energy. That potential energy has to go somewhere. It becomes energy of movement, kinetic energy. Here's why this matters for you and for me. Okay, science lesson over. Here's how this is applicable to our lives of faith. You are a human being created by God. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, as someone who knows God, you are in a system relative to God. You are in a system in the world, in position relative to God. The creator of the world, the one who spoke the stars into being, the one who knows the amount of hair on your head, the one who says he knows the desires of our heart, you are in relative position to God, the creator, which means whether you like it or not, you have potential energy. You have stored energy because that's how the world actually works. That's how God wired it to work. And so when we say to ourselves, well, my time, eh, my resources, meh, God doesn't really want those things. My gifts, they're not as good as your gifts. That is such a lie because that's literally not how the world works. You are in a position relative to God. He says that he holds us in the palm of his hands. And as I imagine this, I imagine really big, loving hands. They're soft, right? They're also kind of callousy because God's God. And he's important and he works hard. But I imagine them like a springboard. And I'm just this little person that sits in God's hands. And he's constantly just springing me forward with potential energy, and he's like, yo, you're sitting in a system relative to me. Are you going to let me launch you forward? This potential has to go somewhere. In physics terms, we call it potential. In Jesus terms, we can call it passion. What starts to ignite in your heart? Pastor Scott has asked us to read through the 10 for 10 over the last six weeks to pray about it. There are goals in there. There are things in there that I'm like, I'm not really that passionate about it. But there are other things that I am very passionate about. What starts to stir in your heart as you think about the inheritance that you currently have, the gifts that you have, the time that you have, the resources that you have? You are in position relative to God. Your potential is just as great as the potential of the person next to you or my potential. Not one of us has more. Because God is equally acting on all of us in the same way, with the same amount of passion and the same amount of love and the same amount of force. And he wants to use you. You have it. 
Every single one of you has this potential. Please don't dismiss that. Please don't go home thinking I'm pretty mediocre. You're not. You're in a position relative to God, and this is how he organized the world to work, which is a pretty cool thing. It's very miraculous. There's a reason you have passions and flames. Listen to them and entrust your inheritance, your time, your talents, your resources. Entrust them to God because he will do far more with that than you and I can. He will bring those things to his glory. He will show us life that is truly life. One final clip from Patch Adams. Patch uh, gets through medical school. He, he lives in kind of this ranch with some other medical students, and they just start seeing like people who need help. So they just start caring for people that show up at their door, and it gets him in trouble with the medical board. And in order to graduate, uh, he has to defend his reason for graduating. And so he kind of has this final speech. And I want you to listen to his passion and the power that he has to tangibly love and care for people. Take a look. Mr. Adams, have you or have you not been treating patients at your ranch? Everyone who comes to the ranch is a patient, yes. And every person who comes to the ranch is also a doctor. I'm sorry. Every person who comes to the ranch is in need of some form of physical or mental help. They're patients. But also every person who comes to the ranch is in charge of taking care of someone else. Whether it's cooking for them, cleaning them, or even a simple task as listening. That makes them doctors. I use that term broadly, gentlemen, but is not a doctor someone who helps someone else? When did the term doctor get treated with such reverence as, oh, right this way, Dr. Smith, or excuse me, Dr. Scholes, what wonderful foot pads, or pardon me, Dr. Patterson, but your flatulence has no odor. At what point in history did a doctor become more than a trusted and learned friend who visited and treated the ill? Now, you ask me if I've been practicing medicine. Well, if this means opening your door to those in need, those in pain, caring for them, listening to them, applying a cold cloth until a fever breaks, if this is practicing medicine, if this is treating a patient, then I am guilty as charged, sir. Did you consider the ramifications of your actions? What if one of your patients had died? What's wrong with death, sir? What are we so mortally afraid of? Why can't we treat death with a certain amount of humanity and dignity and decency and, God forbid, maybe even humor? Death is not the enemy, gentlemen. If we're going to fight a disease, let's fight one of the most terrible diseases of all, indifference. Now I've sat in your schools and heard people lecture on transference and professional distance. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact on another. Why don't we want that in a patient-doctor relationship? That's why I've listened to your teachings and I believe they're wrong. A doctor's mission should be not just to prevent death, but also to improve the quality of life. That's why you treat a disease, you win, you lose. You treat a person, I guarantee you, you win no matter what the outcome. Now here today, this room is full of medical students. Don't let them anesthetize you. Don't let them numb you out to the miracle of life. 
Always live in awe of the glorious mechanism of the human body. Let that be the focus of your studies and not a quest for grades, which will give you no idea what kind of doctor you will become. Mr. Adams, please turn and, and don't address wait the till you're on the ward to get your humanity back. Start your interviewing skills now. Start talking to strangers. Talk to your friends. Talk to wrong numbers. Talk to everyone. Mr. Adams. And cultivate friendships with those amazing people standing in the back of the room. Nurses, they can teach you. They've been with people every day. They have a wealth of knowledge to share with you. And so do the professors you respect, the ones who are not dead from the heart up. Share their compassion. Let that be contagious. Mr. Adams, I demand that you turn and address the board. Sir, I, I want to be a doctor with all my heart. I wanted to become a doctor so I could serve others. And because of that, I've lost everything. But I've also gained everything. Every human being has another impact on another human being. He says at the end, I wanted to be a doctor so I could serve others. And because of that, I've lost everything. I've also gained everything. When we live legacy differently than the world tells us, when we evaluate the desires of our heart and direct those toward God, we might lose some things along the way. And God promises life that is truly life. Life that will leave a legacy that points to him that's not about you and me. He promises to do far more with our gifts than we ever could ask or imagine. Paul in Acts, Luke narrates the book of Acts, and Paul says toward the end of that, he says, I, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. As someone on a mission from Christ, who's living out their calling, Paul says, my life is worth nothing to me, unless I use it for finishing the work that God has given me. Every single one of you has this work. You're not earning good graces with God. You're simply saying, Lord, I see myself in relative position to you. I know you've given me gifts and resources and time that I'm going to entrust back to you because you're going to do with it far more than I could. Every one of you has so much passion and potential. Where you feel big emotions, that's your passion. Things that maybe make you sad, things that make you really angry or maybe really happy. We all have passion. Let God fan those flames and entrust him to do far more with you than you and I ever could. This will change our community. I hope people would notice if we left. And in the meantime, I hope we can take the inheritance that God has given us and leave a legacy of love by who we are and what we do. And this is Revival Church. It's living out love in action. It is the call to love really, really well, to be known by this love and to point people to Jesus so they also can experience life that is truly life. We're gonna sing about God's love chasing us down. And if you're on the outside of the system, if you're like, I'm just checking out the Jesus thing and I'm not really sure that I've bought into it yet, not really sure it's for me or that God wants to use me, let me assure you there's a place for you in this system that God wants to use you and that he's gonna chase you down with all that he has with love so that you know your potential, so that you know your passion is important, that your place in this world is important. 
So let's stand and sing about this powerful love together.